You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Dr. Anna Robbins has been named the seventh president of Acadia Divinity College in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, and Dean of Theology beginning July 1st. She spoke with us about her optimism for the church today, the role of collective repentance, and her vision for Acadia. I'm Karen Stiller. Please enjoy this interview. Anna, you have just been named the seventh president of Acadia Divinity College in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you very much. How are you feeling as you start July 1st? So it's uh, imminent. It is coming. Are you, how are you preparing yourself for this new role? Well, there's kind of two questions there. How do I feel and how am I preparing myself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I feel quite um uh, on the one hand, overwhelmed. There's been a huge outpouring of excitement and congratulations. And that's been, um, you kind of expect people, you hope people will be happy. Um, but the level of excitement has been quite palpable and uh, a bit overwhelming. But I feel really supported through that. So that's quite exciting. I'm excited for what's coming. Of course, it's daunting to step into such a role. It's well known that these aren't easy times for higher education and for theological higher education, that's no different. But I'm excited because we're poised really to thrive in this era. We have an amazing faculty. We're a newish faculty team. Uh, lots of appointments made in recent years. And, you know, all the ideas that people have of what a moldy theological faculty might look like, we've kind of blown out of the water, I hope. And so I'm really excited about leading that team and seeing where God is going to take us into the future. I'd like to ask you um, about the church today, then, as you are leading a seminary that is going to serve the church. How is the state of the Canadian church, in, you, in your opinion, and how can we be preparing people heading into ministry or even bivocational life better? Well, for one thing, I think that it's important that the people who are teaching have a sense of what the students, when they graduate, are going to face, uh, both in terms of opportunities and uh, challenges. And I think that's certainly the case for us. We have a, uh, I was, you know, raving about our faculty a moment ago, but I really think that our faculty have um, a good grasp on uh, contemporary church life. We're all committed to the church. We love the church. We criticize the church like everybody who criticizes what they love because they want it to be so much better. And we all are aware of what many of the challenges are to the church in the whole of the Western world today. It's just happening in some ways much more rapidly in Canada. We have secularized very quickly. But at the same time, that sometimes degenerates into a negative downward spiral where we're always um, telling each other what's wrong and how to fix it and those kinds of things. And and I just think we need to change the conversation and talk more about what is our potential and what are we doing well and what are we called to do in these times. And it might not look like it looked a generation ago. In fact, I'll be really surprised and shocked if it does. Having said that, I don't think we know exactly what it will look like. And it might look like a lot of different things. So I think the challenge for us, as well as the opportunity, is to uh, provide the education for students so that they're ready to be responsive, flexible, uh, nimble to the challenges and opportunities that are available to them as they graduate and and look for where God is leading them. And as you said, some for some it'll be bivocational, probably increasingly so. Uh, for some, it will there will still be, I think, thriving churches looking for good, solid leaders who are able to take those same gifts and skills 
into a, an established congregation that is that is thriving. So it, it's it's a complex task, uh, but it's an awful lot of fun. Anna, you uh, have written for our magazine, Faith Today, and I know you've spoken on this before, that this idea that we have kind of um, adopted, I think, that the church is in exile, that language is used, and that things were better before. That's a refrain you hear. And you are a voice pushing back on that, as you just alluded to. Can you unpack that more? Where Where is this sunny optimism of yours coming from? <laughs> Well, um, I think I'm optimistic because I believe in Jesus Christ resurrected and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the source of my optimism. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got stuck in this mantra of things were better before. I actually have, um, I've spoken quite extensively on this and, and continuing to do research um, on it in terms of where does that come from in our culture? Because, you know, at the moment, it's everything was better before. The church was better before. Our countries were better before. Culture was better before. And I was at, um, I was at a, an event, at, speaking at an event at Queen's University. And I asked the students, because this is what I've been coming across. I said, do you think things were better before? Now, these are the young people who are supposed to be, you know, at the cusp of all good things in their lives. They're supposed to think that they can burst out onto the world and nothing's impossible to them. And they all just looked at me like I was nuts. They said, well, of course it was better before. And I just, I, I, I think we've done a terrible disservice to young people coming up through the church to have said, to have left them in a place where they think everything was better before. They need to believe that they're going to be able to do it better than their parents did and their grandparents did and so on. But that's not the message we've given. And I think when I dug down further, um, not only there, but with other groups as well, it seems that there's a feeling that because the church was thriving in terms of numbers and its public voice and all of those, its influence in, in culture and so on before, that now it's all bad. And they have been reading this material about being in exile and so on. But but this is a, ma a time of incredible opportunity. And it wasn't necessarily better before. Some things were better before, and some things weren't better before. So people say, well, now it's complex. You know, we have to think things through in a different way. Well, that is that a bad thing? <laughs> you right. know, to, to undo some of the maybe injustices that we were responsible for perpetuating and and those sorts of things. I think there are many things that are that are better and there are things that are worse. And thus it has always been and always will be. The, the challenge changes. That's all. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, when you were just telling that story about asking students, uh, you know, I, I'm, I was surprised. I'm, I'm surprised that they said that they also thought things were better before. I would have expected a different answer. Yeah, there was um, a Netflix series that was released a little while back um, called 13 Reasons Why. And um, it, it was a very depressing kind of series where the main character at the outset had committed suicide and left 13 tapes for different people that she knew explaining why they had contributed to her suicide. And the, the, the show was very bleak. There was no redemption anywhere in it. There was no faith anywhere in it. Not even the kind of, you know, the flaky new agers didn't even appear anywhere. There was no spirituality. It was void of all of that. And it had a really retro kind of feel to it. And, and one of the, the one of the main characters early on in the first episode said exactly that things were better before everything was better before. If that's what we've left this generation, we have failed miserably as the church. And I think we can do a lot better. Well, it's not a very creative posture, is it? No, it's completely defeatist. And it, and it you know, if, if we think that 
you know, every there's there's a there's a sense of the nostalgia that is actually being fed even through the marketers um, of our culture today. And you see it all the time, don't we? In advertising, we see it in movies. I went recently to to see the Transformers Bumblebee movie with my son and and I was really interested because the whole soundtrack was an 80s soundtrack. And so my husband and I loved this. We thought it was great. Um, for him, it was all new, but he knew the characters, of course, and got into those. So I did, again, some digging around to see how intentional is this idea that there's nothing new under the sun. And the marketers perpetuate it because they know they can get, they can nab two generations in one go and then perpetuate the nostalgia again for the next generation. So um, it, it, there's an intentional um, push within the marketing culture that then influences the culture all around us to, to value this nostalgia. I mean, theologically, if we look at what, um, what C.S. Lewis, for example, had to say about that, he said it was a misplaced um, uh, sense of yourself that you're always looking backwards and you make... You, you try to keep something alive that is dead instead of looking forward where the Christian hope is actually placed. The Christian hope isn't in the past. The Christian hope is always looking forward to the future and the consummation of the kingdom and the coming of Christ. So if, if we're stuck in that cultural moment as Christians, we're perhaps not embracing the whole of our theology and our faith. I was, uh, I attended Urbana this year, which of course is the large student missions conference um, that happens every few years, put on by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And one thing that really struck me, and of course it's it's targeting and welcoming university students primarily, uh, but there was a, a ongoing spirit and language and vocabulary of communal repentance mm-hmm. that kept coming up. And I thought I thought that must be resonating. I mean, not only is it just you know, obviously genuinely important, but it is clearly a message that these, you know, younger, like 20 something uh, Christians need to hear that the church is saying, we are sorry for uh, things that we did wrong. So that is a kind of looking back too, but that must be a healthier looking back, right? Oh yeah, that that's definitely a different kind of looking back, and and that's been actually collective repentance has been um, a center of my research in ethics for a number of years. I just wish I could have published the book on it for this moment, um, yeah. <laughs> but I have I have written on it and and published in um, in journals on this issue um, because uh, again with the with with the individualization that happened in culture, that of course was part and parcel of how the church manifested itself as well. And, you know, it's all about me and Jesus. I come to the garden alone. I'm sorry for my sin. There's no sense that there could be a we're sorry that we've done stuff that, you know, I might not have done as an act of my individual will, but I participated in, or at least I didn't stop or I didn't deny or I've benefited from. And and this is a reality in scripture from the very beginning and throughout. And it's an important part, I think, of what it means to be human, to recapture, not, not to abandon the, the individual and the idea of the individual, because I think that's crucial too in the gospel, but to not abandon at the same time the idea that God's people are God's people together and that we are a new people and one in Christ in the same way that in the Old Testament, the community of God were responsible for their actions as a whole. So does collective repentance uh, for the church serve the same 
you know, purpose as my individual repentance does in my life. Um, like how do, what does it do for the church when we say we're sorry together? Well, I hope that as for an, you know, an individual repenting, you access the forgiveness of Christ and you are reconciled to Christ. And I think it affects the same work of Christ's reconciliation that goes out from the cross and returns all things back to him. So when we recognize that together we have done things in the past that have been clearly wrong, I think in the same way we're recognizing that we've been culpable, we can access the forgiveness of the people who have been wronged and uh, God's forgiveness, and and it affects reconciliation then, not only between individuals and families, but in communities and uh, between countries, populations, and um, it shows that the, the reconciliation that's possible in Christ is vast beyond measure. I've always thought as I listen to our culture talk about reconciliation, it's occurred to me that, you know, the church should be an expert at reconciliation. We should be really, really good at this work. Um, I, can you speak to that? Like how the church can even be more active in Canada, say, with this important work of reconciliation? Yeah, I mean, you would think we would be better at it than we than we are, but but again, we've been part of a culture that has so individualized the message that we find it very difficult to grapple with issues like what does somebody else feel when they see a particular statue. You know, we can see it from our perspective, but are we able to get out of our cultural skin and understand how somebody else might respond to it? Or um, I've heard people say things like, you know, regarding, say, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report, you know, why, why don't they just get over it and we can move on? When is this reconciliation thing over? And we have to recognize that reconciliation, the process of it, if the, if the, if the wrong goes deeply, it's never over. We're always learning to walk together well again. And, and I think it means in, in a scriptural way, if we look at the New Testament, it means privileging the other over your own desire to have your rights fulfilled and your desires met. It means that kind of self-sacrifice. And in some ways, the churches have been slow to it. Some groups have been quicker. Some church groups have been quicker than others to, to grapple with this and to understand what it means. But overall, I'd say we're pretty slow. Wow, lots of work lying ahead. Um, Anna, I heard you in a, a lecture I listened to uh, to prepare for our talk, um, and you described the work of, the, of a theologian, and I think I got this right, a beggar showing other beggars where to find bread. Did you say that? <laughs> I did. D.T. Niles, he was a, yeah, writer, wrote about evangelism. I think oftentimes Christian leaders, people who are, well-educated and so on can lord it over others. It's something we've all encountered and I certainly have. And I've had people often come very kind of tiptoe up to me and what do I call you and that sort of thing. And, and I like to, I like when I'm speaking sometimes, I like to just even the ground and remind folks that I'm speaking out of the gifts and the treasures that God's entrusted to me but I'm no different from anybody else in the room. We are all just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. In other words, whether I'm doing theology or, and sharing some, you know, great piece of research I think that I've come up with or, or, or whether I'm preaching or whatever I'm doing, I, in my mind, my mission is the same. And that is to 
bring people closer to Jesus and to reconciliation with him. That's, that's what I hope I'm doing. Let's pull that out a bit and uh, talk about, you know, the academy and the church, that um, dichotomy that sometimes gets talked about that seminaries may feel like an ivory tower place to do theology that doesn't help the church. But I get a very different sense from you. And that's certainly uh, something you're obviously going to be working uh, against that feeling. Um, so can you talk to us about what some of your plans are for Acadia and ha- how you're going to bridge more effectively into the church, assuming that's part of it? Mm. Well, Acadia has always been uh, very clear in its mission, that our mission is for the church and for the preparation of uh, leaders for the church. I think that um, we'll continue, of course, to do that. And that's been manifested in recent times through things like the establishment of the McRae Center, which is uh, a center for uh, supporting Christians and exploring the relationship between faith and culture. So it it helps us to stay on the cutting edge of what's happening in culture and in the churches. Um, But at the same time, the resources that we're producing and the research that we're doing is, is, I hope, um, also benefiting the church. And that's become not only something that happens within the center itself, but it has um, uh, permeated really the whole work of the college so that I, I would say our Old Testament courses still connect people with what's happening in the world today, our New Testament courses. You know, there's no ivory tower really where we are. We think deep thoughts and we read thick books, but our goal is always to bring it back to the level of the church in a way that builds the church up and equips the church for meeting the challenges of of culture today. Tell us, um, as you, uh, if people are interested in learning more about Acadia and about you personally, where can they find you online? Yeah, if anybody wants to follow up on any of this, they can uh, look us up at acadiadiv.ca. We're physically located on the Acadia University campus. All of our degrees are Acadia University degrees, um, and we go from certificate level all the way up to a doctor of ministry. So look us up. All of our courses have virtual seats available so you can learn from anywhere uh, in Canada or around the world. Um, if you want to see more of my work, you can connect with me on the McRae Center, which is mccraycenter.ca, or you can link through from the main Acadia Divinity College website. Um, I also have my own blog, annarobbins.org, uh, but I haven't been updating it quite as frequently uh, since we launched the McRae Center just a couple of years ago because I've been quite uh, active with that. And we're about to launch a podcast, so that's something people might watch for in the coming uh, coming months. Anna, thank you so much. And we will be uh, watching and cheering you on from afar. We're so happy for this new appointment. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.